Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bullock, produced by Sout. We have a great show today looking at comics and graphic novels from the Arab region and specifically from Lebanon. We'll be talking with Rawand Issa about her wonderful book, Inside the Giant Fish, and about um, creating comics and graphic novels uh, today. Before we get started, just a quick thank you to those of you who have already donated to our 2023 fundraising campaign. We really appreciate it. Bulak is a labor of love, a show put together by two freelancers. We've been doing this for about five years now, and we're almost at episode number 100. If you'd like to support us, you can make a donation at donorbox.org forward slash support dash Bulak. Again, that's donorbox.org forward slash support dash Bulak. That link is also on our Twitter and in the show notes for this episode. We really would like to keep the show going uh, and to keep it free and available to everyone. Uh, we figure if about half our listeners gave just $10 for the year, we could meet our goal. Also, if you don't already, you should subscribe to the show on one of the many podcast platforms we're available on. You can follow us on Twitter at Bullock Books, where we uh, post about new episodes, but also regularly share news uh, and commentary on Arabic literature and translation. And finally, you can also now follow us on Instagram at bulak.books. Hello and welcome to episode 98 of the Bulak podcast. I'm Marshallings Quayley, coming to you today from Rabat, Morocco. And as usual, I'm joined by Ursula Lindsay and Amon Jordan. And today we're also joined by comics artist Rowan Daisa, who's coming to us from Istanbul. For those of you who don't know her, Rowan is an artist, comic artist, and writer from the town of Algeria, Lebanon. Her work focuses on socioeconomic issues and documenting real stories. She's published political cartoons and comics in a number of magazines, as well as several short graphic novels, including Insubordinate and Not From Mars. Her latest work is the graphic novel Inside the Giant Fish, which has been translated to English by Amy Shinyara and published by Mamul Press, which you can find at mamulpress.com. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us today, Rwand. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, great. So if you can start us off by talking about, I know you started out in journalism and then moved into comics art and, you know, sometimes work between journalism and comics art. And I wanted to know, you know, just if you could tell us why journalism, why comics art and, you know, where you've been and where you're going. Yeah. Uh, I started in journalism, uh, although I didn't really study it in, in a university, but I got a training from a, a very important at the time, a very important local newspaper, As-Safir. They used to do training for uh, young uh, writers. So I got my journalism uh, training there. Uh, and I started really early in uh, in uh, uh, journalistic writing. Uh, after three, four years, I then started to produce comics. And I don't think that I my switch was very far away from journalism because 
what I do in comics is also comics journalism or what we call what we can call comics journalism because I do nonfiction comics and I do documentation, political comics, which is also I think it's in the same field, like in the same media field where I'm uh, also doing some kind of journalism. Great. So <clears throat> how, what about the shift to also doing fictional works? Because Inside the Giant Fish, um, as, as you noted to me, is not, uh, is not you know, your own story, but rather a sort of a fictional story. Yeah. Um, well, it's based on real stories. I mean, mm. I don't know how to explain this switch. It's just that, uh, like after producing comics for a while, you kind of, uh, want to explore new things and, uh, deciding to create, uh, something bigger than just the comic strip and which can, which can be a book in this, uh, uh, in this situation, um, this is where I think that things kind of happen organically. Like I didn't decide to do this, uh, mm. on purpose. Uh, and also this inside the giant fish is also based on, on real, uh, real life stories. So it's, um, the character is fictional, but the whole stories are real. I kind of did an interview with different people from my uh, from my hometown and family members and neighbors, and kind of uh, put all the stories together into one character, uh, but they're all real. Mm. So perhaps yeah, so for our listeners, for we yeah. could talk about what the subject of the of Inside the Giant Fish is. Yeah, so it's a it's the story of uh, a girl who. Uh, is looking for her memories on a beach that doesn't uh, exist anymore. And it's it's between the past, uh, which is in 80s, 90s, and right now, the present time, where she does not live in her hometown anymore. And the main uh, story is about privatizing the beach of her hometown and how the whole... Uh, people of the hometown kind of lost a big part of their lives uh, when they lost the beach. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about other readers, but I found felt so outraged that, that it feels like a human right to have access to your own beach, to have access to the water, to be able to swim in the water that's so nearby and to see it, you know, the sort of razor wire come up. And, and you know, it's so spiky, like so many things in in that graphic novel are spiky <clears throat> and uh, it's so out outrageous. It's also part of something that's happening like in so many, I mean, around the world and, and very dramatically in the region, right? Like yes. in a lot of places that we know in a lot of cities that we love, just this confiscation of what should be a public resource which is like access to clean, beautiful public spaces, you know, beaches, forests, like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's green space, open space, like access to water. I mean, it's, it's a sort of, it's a real war, I feel like, on citizens yes. and residents that's happening, like by developers and by governments. And, uh, and y this, y y you're not the only one to have, uh, to have focused on this, um, but the story you tell is very, is very bittersweet and very moving and maybe about a part, like a part of Lebanon that I was not familiar with. Like I was familiar with the fights over public beaches in Beirut, the, the movement, uh, to save like the last public beach in Beirut. Um, but I, I did not know this particular story of, uh, of development in other parts of the country. Yeah, exactly. somehow it's it's, it's it's even sadder in this in this village where the beach is such an important part of of life, and they can't you know do so many other things. Yeah, so so what happened with with my hometown is not exceptional. Uh, it's happening, like you said, all around the region. Uh, everything is becoming privatized, and you have to like in order to access any. Uh, natural things in your environment, you have to pay for it. So 
which which encouraged me more to write about the story because uh like you said what what we have in Lebanon is a fight to keep the rest of 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 the open spaces or the public spaces in Lebanon and uh how we talk about this like when we for example in journalism when we want to talk about what's happening it's we talk about it more of being a cause of uh, a human right. We need to fight about this. But I felt like the intimate part uh, of, of, uh, of this and what actually happened to individuals and the, the, the drastic change that happens to, to people's life, we don't talk much about this. It's not only um, uh, like when we say a human uh, right fight it's kind of i don't know it's like kind of a big label that you can't actually connect with it sometimes on a personal uh, level mm. so i just wanted to show what it really means what a human right fight really means it's it means that a lot of people are ro- losing a big part of their lives they're losing a big part of their identity uh, they're losing their their heritage uh yeah it's not only losing an access to the beach it's lo- losing an access to a whole life that they used to live mm, yeah it's like an important integral part of the of the culture that now you know changes e- everything but but also another part of your work that um i think you know sort of in general of your work that i find in this book as well is the emphasis on the body so it's also you know what um what being away from from the water does to the main character's body and how you know how it how something plays out sort of physically on the individual body and <clears throat> and and you ha- you have all this uh, you know so much wonderful work around sort of particularly a woman's body. And I, I wanted to know, you know, how you move between this sort of exterior sort of you know, uh, sort of classically political to the interior, which is also political of, of you know, sort of the, the fight over the space of, of, of the, the human body. I'm, I'm smiling right now because I'm really happy that you, like, uh, noticed all these details, small details in the, in the <laughs> illustrations. And, yeah, I, I, I definitely talked about, like, when we talk about the land and the body, they're kind of, in my mind, or even realistically, they're in like in the same, uh, in the same, I don't know, territory, like when the land is being privatized, also we, we lose part of our actual physical bodies because mm. uh, privatizing a land is not something exterior from what your life is, from your, what you uh, are a human. I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but uh, one thing is that I wanted to show that uh, if you are a person who lives by the beach, you kind of like having this open space, it's kind of uh, having also your own uh, personal space that is wide. Like you have the freedom to move with your mm. body. Mm-hmm. In this open space, it feels like your body is free physically. Uh, you can swim, you can, uh, I don't know, fish, you can uh, do a lot of exercise. But like physically, you are kind of not uh, in a very tiny space. You're taking space. You're taking the space that you need to take in order to live. But when mm. it's privatized, it's kind of also uh, puts... Um, um, borders around your own body. You're not. You, you can't take space anymore to live. So, so when you're privatizing land, you're also uh, kind of putting borders on my body because wh- where am I going to move anymore? Like I can't move anymore. I have no land to actually take space. Mm. And <clears throat> I wanted to talk a little bit about your art style and. <laughs> you have, and I, I just, you know, would say that for me as a kid, I, I was turned off comics in some way because so many of the women characters that were supposed to be powerful were so like curvy and soft and, you know, like these 
like impossibly large bosoms and impossibly tiny waists that, you know, just didn't seem like powerful or interesting to me in any way. And, but I love your sort of angular, sharp edged, heavy lined, you know, as you know, I love that there's hair on the legs of, of the girl, you know, as she's going out to swim and, and that there's, you know, people have real eyebrows, for instance. Um, and I wondered, you know, if you could talk a little bit about the development of your style, um, of, of particularly of human figuration, but in general. Yeah, th this kind of also happened organically, uh, like with time, uh, because when I started uh, drawing, uh, I was very frustrated about having to, like, if you want to uh, learn drawing, you have to learn the anatomy of the body. And like, when you learn anatomy of the body, you kind of, uh, they put like a very perfect body model in front of you to draw. And like, you mm. have to also de deal with perspective and uh like the the length of the body, how much space it's taking in the in the on the paper, and for me it wasn't just it, it wasn't realistic. Like it was odd that the realistic drawing in this case wasn't realistic for me because I don't look like the model I need to draw. Uh, mm. So I I kind of. It, it started when I was taking, uh, when I started taking like drawing class and then I dropped off. I didn't continue anymore because I, as I felt like it's, it's not something that I want to do. I felt frustrated and I just started sketching on my own because, because I also was influenced, influenced by, um, illustrators and comic artists, uh, like from other generations. And I looked at their, at their drawings and they weren't realistic. So I would kind of had the courage to do the same, to not, uh, when I want to draw, to not to aim for a realistic, which is not realistic, <laughs> mm. uh, drawing. Um, let me say perfectionist drawing, maybe not realistic. So I started drawing on my own. And when I started drawing, of course, uh, it wasn't like how I draw now. Of course, with practice, you kind of learn new things and you get like, kind of advanced in how you draw but uh this is how uh, my my hand movement was it's what it was kind of edgy and sharp and um I kind of wanted to draw what I see which is for example first thing my face the faces that I see and they they weren't soft uh, my face is not soft uh, we have mm. eyebrows we have curly hairs we have uh curly hair we have uh we're big, we're small. So uh, I was very much influenced by real life around me and like the people that I see in myself as well. So um, it all happened from here. And then with time, with practice, with drawing more, it kind of like became what you see right now. But uh, at first it wasn't easy. Like I think this is what every artist also go, go through when they're trying to discover their style. Like it's not an easy thing to start, but like with me, it's kind of happened uh, organically because I was frustrated that I didn't want to draw this perfectionist body. Yeah. It happened from there. And then it kind of organically, I don't know, <laughs> got to what I draw right now. Maybe, maybe it happened because like, I didn't try more than what my hands, how my hands were moving. Mm. I mean, in, inside the giant fish, which is the work of yours that I've uh, had the chance to see is um, I think the style works really wonderfully also to, to sort of convey these inner worlds of like memory and sort of emotion. I mean, there's, you know, everyday scenes of things happening, but then there's these kind of beautiful panels that just feature a sun and a sea and a whale. And they are beautiful panels. I mean, they are like, you know, thank you. Pa paintings, works of art things, you know, and, and then you have this very uh, pretty, pretty limited and really dramatic color palette. Um, I think you have maybe four, four or five colors throughout and they complement each other and they make this kind of really vivid um, 
uh, scene and then the ocean with all of these lines. Like, I love the way you just draw the water. Um, so, so I think it conveys feeling also like, exactly. uh, yeah. Yeah. Because when, yeah, there's when also, we think about uh, feelings, no, I'm sorry. No, when we think about feelings, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, when we think about feelings, I don't think they, they're, I, I don't know. In my mind, they're not soft shape. Like if we're talking about anger, loss, uh, I don't know, joy, nostalgia. In my mind, they're, they're, they're not soft at all. They're, they are heavy feelings. <laughs> Everything that is uh, uh, related to our like intimate memory, they're, they're not soft at all. And I think this is where like also the sharp lines come from because whenever I'm writing anything about these feelings, I'm not in a very comfortable mood. I'm in a, uh, a lot of, like when I was working about inside the, the giant fish the whole time I was in a kind of mourning situation because I know that I'm, I'm kind of, uh, saying, uh, like goodbye to all those memories when I'm writing them. So it's, the experience of producing this work wasn't wasn't easy, wasn't soft. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of a uh, like edgy, like the edges that I was drawing. And about the color palette, I'm I'm glad you you brought it up because it's also very personal how I chose those colors. Let me say that at first, um, the the beach that I'm talking about is in a village, and the village has a lot of uh, trees and, and green spaces. It's an agricultural, uh, place. So it's, it's pretty much, I was drawing what I was seeing and the color palette is actually also like has a very personal story because the, these four colors are, uh, when I was a kid, I had a swimsuit, which had four colors that it, it used to have stripes and each stripe has like pink, orange and the mm-hmm. blue in it. So I, I, uh, I chose these colors on, on purpose because I used to love this swimsuit very much. And I wore it so much, so many years until it wouldn't fit me anymore. So it was also <laughs> kind of like, uh, like bringing back this uh, love situation that I had with my swimsuit when I was a kid. That's fine. I think also, I can remember a few of my swimsuits very, yeah. very vividly. Absolutely. <laughs> Until like the fabric wears thin and the elastic is yeah. worn out. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's also something really different about how the whale is illustrated. And I, I wonder if... It, yeah, the whales that, that... I wondered if there's a sort of a different emotion that goes with, with the whales and with creating the body and the the sort of designs on the whales yeah um like when we talk about whales it's also like kind of in my memory because like the scene where i put the grandma is talking to the girl uh this is actually inspired from my own story it's the relationship between me and my grandma and she used to always talk about whales when uh, and the way i draw her sitting uh not not on a chair but like kind of on a on a rock or something because she oh she had a um a small uh green area in front of her house and she had like chickens and she used to come out to feed the chickens and she would sit and I would sit next to her while but she she would be like babysitting me or something while my parents are not home and she would tell me a lot of stories about the beach and the whale and how the whale used to uh, eat the sun, and and in my yani, these illustration, most of the the illustrations that I drew that I drew are from my own memory of how I used to um, imagine those stories that my grandma used to tell me, and they're kind, I I see them as like. Beside of of the lines being edgy, I also see them a bit childish, like they have kind of a childish style in them because this is how I remember them. Because when I used to be, when I was a kid, this is how I imagined them. 
they weren't real. They, I didn't have a photo in front of me to imagine a whale. Of course, I know how a whale, like, I don't know, maybe an outline of a whale, how it, it could be, but like, not with the details. It was also mm. kind of a vivid memory for me. So we wanted to talk a little bit about sort of the, the comic scene in general and, you know, both Lebanese graphic novel and comic scene and, and across the region. And you were, I think, living in Beirut when you started to move toward comics art. And to me, one of the main features of the comic scene, not just in Beirut, but in Cairo, Casablanca, Tunis, Abu Dhabi, elsewhere, is this sort of comics collective magazine like Samandal or... Um, you know, so many of Tok Tok, so many of them across. And I just, you know, came across this new one at the Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi Art Book Fair called Kuniche. And and it seems to be a feature of of the Arabic comic scene so much more than than elsewhere, at least other scenes that I know about. And I wanted to know from you sort of what role this collective had played in your trajectory what you think the sort of pluses and minuses of it are and why it's such a big feature? Um, I want to start with saying that, that definitely I was very encouraged to uh, start doing comics because of the generation that was uh, a little bit older than me, not that old, but like the, 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 the old school Samandals, I was very much encouraged by them because in Lebanon, we didn't have any other uh, comics magazines other than that. And the, of course, the classical um, uh, Majid and Ahmed uh, magazines, but the, those were more uh, like children books. But like growing up comics, for me, it was uh, like the old school Samandal. So I was definitely encouraged by that. And uh, also Lana Mirhaj, like I used to know her from also from the a newspaper that I used to work with because she, she used to publish uh, comic strips uh, w w while I was uh, also working as a journalist in the, in the magazine, in the newspaper, sorry. So she also, w when she used to see me like drawing and sketching, she, she also like kind of pushed me to do this and like, she used to kind of encourage me like, ah, oh, okay, you do comics. I didn't know at the time that what was I, what was I doing, like can be specified as comics because I thought that like a, comics should be like uh, a classic way of, I don't know, uh, being, uh, let's say in a square and like a bubble and like you need to have um, uh, a hiwar. What's hiwar in, uh, in English? <laughs> Uh, like, like a con conversation script. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So, so, uh, so I didn't know that I w when I started, that was what I was doing was actually can be, uh, like labeled as comics. So, so yeah, I was, I was like, I was definitely encouraged by the people who used to, to create comics and this see having this scene all over, like, the, the 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 Arab countries is is very inspiring for me, and having uh, these artists who are trying to uh, very hard to create magazines and create more comics is very inspiring for me. Uh, and also, like being part of it is also something that I, I'm really happy about. Um, as for the other question, collectives, you mean, you mean, you want me to comment on the, on the idea of having collectives? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, um, uh, for me, I am pro collective. Like I am really, um, how can I say that? I'm, uh, I'm very, um, interested in the idea of an, a, a collective, but for me, what we have is I I wouldn't say that there are a lot of collectives. I would say there are a lot of art groups, which we call collectives. But when we go back to the concept of a collective, I think it should be much more than what those art groups are, are doing. Uh, let, let me start with, like, if you are an artist and you want to, like, kind of practice art and live from practicing art, it's not something something easy to do. Uh, like in this economy or in the region that you live in. 
And we are very much um, uh, like we we cannot work uh, unless we. Um, uh, how can I say? We are kind of controlled by what funders want, what uh, organizations who fund art want. And for now, uh, for some reason, uh, organizations that are interested in comics, they are excited about the idea of the, of the collective. So a lot of time you would say people coming together to kind of create a project, not... Uh, not for the idea of the collective. I'm not not practicing what a collective should be, but only to get resources in order to create. Because a collective is much more than just coming together and work. I, I think that there's a political sense of having a collective. There should be harmony between the members. There should be, they need to have a, a common goal, um, like uh, there's some kind of uh, a fight between you and the system while having a collective. Uh, there's there 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 need to be a sense of fighting the individualism that the the system is forcing uh, is forcing on us. So all these which uh, kind of um, uh, which are the uh, goal of a collective you you do not see in in art groups. What you see is just people collaborating together, for me, which is different than what a collective should be. So this, this is this is yeah, this is this is my only um uh for, I don't know, critique, let me say. And I was mm. I was involved in many art groups in Lebanon and other than Lebanon and um uh, and I was very hopeful, and I still I'm still hopeful to like find myself in a collective. But this is not happening. I had a lot a lot of good and bad experiences with art groups, but mostly I was disappointed because I n I never felt that uh, I found a collective that is actually working as a collective. Like you would see, uh, most of the time art groups who survive like through years and not uh, kind of uh, end after one or two projects are the people who are who were friends before starting this collaboration. This is mm. the this, this is the art groups that you see uh, surviving. Uh, for right, example, maybe have uh, a, like a shared vision. Exactly. Uh, uh, so so. The concept of a collective, which which it should be uh, grouping people uh, to work together in harmony and having a shared political belief and try to uh, be more independent and uh, like maybe um, producing art, which is more of manifesting things rather than just waiting for funds and what funders want. Like, for mm. example, if you look at the art scene or the whole creative scene, you would see that we all produce on the same uh, subjects, which are right now popular. And this is sad. And if you talk to any arts, they would say the same. There are plenty of artists who want to talk about different things, but there is there are no resources to do that. Uh, even my own work, like most of the comics that I share in different magazines or newspapers, I don't choose the subject. They tell me that, for example, I want something about, uh, I don't know, um, uh, uh, gender equality, let's say. Because right. this organization or or this magazine has a fund to produce uh, material about this subject. So, so I don't want to, like when I'm critiquing what a collective should be and when I'm critiquing art groups, I don't want to be harsh on artists because I myself, I'm an artist too and I know the struggles, but maybe I just want to call things with what they are. Like, I don't think that they, there are plenty of collectives. We are just art groups struggling in this system. <laughs> the problem of sort of, you know, organizing effectively, winning your you know, intellectual as well as your your economic independence, which is always key or almost always key to having, you know, other forms of independence is, is one that is 
people are finding challenging, like outside of the art world too, right? Like it's really hard to organize with other people and it's very hard to create collective spaces that are genuinely independent. Um, and I just wanted to cut in with a question because I was, I just wanted to make, so you've talked about how a lot of comic art and graphic art and art generally, I guess, is, um, is, has funders. Are you talking about international organizations, regional cultural organizations? And then like, what about the private publishing? Like, is there any way to just produce work for readers and for the market that's not so it wouldn't be dictated so much by you know the criteria of grants and foundations well this is another black hole that artists fall through when we're talking about like the market because in this case like for example in my experience if i want to publish a book and this happened when i was looking for a publisher for inside the giant fish and Dealing with publisher is also like it's really a black hole because it's a it's, it's a it's a very hard uh, market and maybe publisher themselves they're also going through their own I don't know uh, problems and struggles but a lot of p- publishers in the market unfortunately do not respect artists and they just look at. The, 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 uh, your, your work as a product and they just want to sell it and most of the time they take your copyrights and they make money of it and they don't pay the artist anything so how can I, how can you survive if you want to be like it's 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 impossible no one actually right now uh, can survive with only publishing stuff like publishing is not something to aim to to live from because most of the time it's the publisher d- dealing with your with your book or your artwork as a product and they're going to be making money out of it and they would say like yeah because printing is expensive i don't know ink is expensive we have to market it we have we have to do i don't know be available in festivals and whatever so they have their own struggles but also I think that the whole process from printing to marketing the, 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 the book or the artwork, it's kind of not involving the artist who maybe spent years working on this product. So it's kind of like the artist is getting isolated from their own work, which is also like very frustrating as well. So for me, when I decided, like, because I used to like publish independently before, which is also was another hard thing to do and I couldn't do it anymore because it's also like something that takes a lot of time it's like a full-time job so when I decided to finally surrender to the publisher market I publishing market I I knew that I'm not I was not gonna uh, get any uh, money back from it Mm. unfortunately so what can you make what do you can you make money from as as a comics artist, uh, it's the uh, it's it's working. Uh, I don't know, like it's the the comics that I publish as uh, as comics journalism in magazines, in uh, in uh, in, uh, in newspapers. It's the comics that I uh, that I uh, that I work with uh, with organizations with nonprofit organizations. Uh, it's the Yani, basically the work that you get commissioned to do, and not the work that you want to do. This is the difference, right? That's very right. interesting. And can I just uh, another quick follow? So, you're where? If our listeners want to find your work, where can they find it? Like, where are your books available? Can they be found online? Uh, uh, nothing. Well, the, so the English. Yet. The English translations of three of the works can be found at, for, for buyers yeah. in the United States, can be found at mamwoodpress.com. Okay. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I can talk a little bit about Mamul Press because, uh, like, my uh, um, experience with Mamul Press was very different from my, my experience when I talk about publishers because they work in a different way. 
And I've been working with Mamul Press before it was even Mamul Press. It started as a collective called Big Mouth. Uh, and I started, yeah, and I published my first zine with them in, in early 2017. And I'm still working with them right now. And like, this is a, like, I really respect what they're doing because they work differently. And for me, they uh, like, okay, they can't make a lot of money and a lot of success for, like uh, from what a big, uh, I don't know, publishing house can make, but they make sure to pay the artist back, which is something that I really respect. And they really work hard to uh, put the artist, like not to isolate the artist from the work and, and they don't take the copyrights. Also, which is something very important. So if you want to do something else uh, with your work, you can do that. So uh, maybe this is a chance to say that, like, for example, the ideal um, uh, working in, in the publishing market right now is my experience with Mamul Press because they actually work as a... Um, because they are artists themselves and they, they want... They, uh, their main purpose is to uh, encourage artists to produce more and they don't uh, deal with products uh, with, I'm sorry, with artworks as only products. Uh, and I know that they're going through their own struggles as well. I know that them choosing that is not something something easy to do. Hmm. Um, yeah, aren't, I, I believe that they're today as we're recording, they're, they're having an event for the book at the Brooklyn Arts Book Festival. Um, That's true. So, so they they're bringing it out and around. But so I'm sorry, I di I don't quite understand about copyright. So does that mean if your publisher in has the the copyright to the Arabic that you then couldn't produce like a T-shirt with the whale on it? I I can no, of course I can use the uh, but uh, but I can't uh, like. Whenever I want to do anything with the book or anything that's related to the book or the story, I don't have the right to do that. Uh, yeah, like I can't, I don't know, everything that's related to the book or marketing the book or even being like, uh, if I want to participate in a festival, in a book market, I can't do that. I think what we're talking about is maybe it's it's this kind of signing off, the, like instead of a more conditional copyright where you sell a publisher the rights to publish an edition in a certain country, like it's like more that you, you sign it off in perpetuity and totally this idea that they just bought it for good, it and everything that it applies to, they could bring out editions as many different editions, or, you know what I mean? And even like resell it. Is that what we're talking about? It's kind of like, it's a sort of all or nothing. Like they just, as opposed to, I think it's more common that you, you know, don't sign away all your own intellectual property rights over your work that way. And that's just the way the, the publishing industry works. I think generally more still, uh, I mean, I'm not an, I'm really not an expert on this, although I love books. I don't, I don't know the ins and outs. Um, I wanted to ask you a question since you've talked a bit about your shift from reporting to making comics and in fact, the, you know, using still of sort of certain reporting techniques in your work, um, I recently uh, read and and actually wrote something about uh, Lamia Ziade's book with My Port of Beirut, which um, I don't know if you're familiar with with her work. Uh, she's a Lebanese French artist, and she does these books that are graphic novels, but without panels, without dialogue. They're illustrations and text. They're they're very I think they're very lovely. She did a book previously on like uh, Arabic divas that I really enjoyed. Like it was like biographies of all the great Arabic singers from the early 20th century, and then she did this book that was published in French and now in English. And it's it's like basically an account of the first four months of the blast of the Beirut port explosion and the first four months afterwards. And it's again it's very repertorial. Like it's basically day by day, it's almost like a journal of what people were thinking, what they were saying, what images were circulating online. 
um, you know, kind of how people were, you know, some, you know, of course it's her personal story, her family's story or whatever, but how people were experiencing that. And it just made me think, and then I, you know, some of your work, uh, you pointed out, uh, Lena Merhej's work, who I, which I think is brilliant. And again, a lot of it is like about current events, about things that are happening. And I just wonder if there's something about the format of comics and of the graphic novel that is somehow a more responsive, like that works better for when you want to talk about things that are in motion, things that are happening, things that are quite current, like, as opposed to, I don't know, like writing a novel, that there's something, it gives you an ability to like, there's something reactive about it or like, you know, more in the moment. Do you have any thoughts on this? I'm not sure what my thoughts are yet. I'm just like spitballing here. I think, I think, uh, Maybe I don't know uh, her work because if she publishes if she, if she publishes in French, I have a barrier because I don't understand French. Yeah, yeah, that's probably uh, why. Yeah, I think I think we collaborated on a Samandal project before, but I'm not sure the catastrophe collaboration because there were like around ten artists. Uh, I think we maybe collaborated on mm. this project, but. What were what you were what you were what you were saying about the work being reactive? Uh, yeah, I I didn't think about that before, but that's true. It's kind of like this whole book of Inside the Giant Fish was me being angry about what what was happening to us. So, so yeah, that's that's right. It is reactive to to like current uh, events happening to us. No, I was just going to say, starting with the comic strip, which like is published in a newspaper and is like really short and really episodic. And so that one is very clearly almost always about what's something that's like happening, you know, like the cartoon. And the, but then even when you take it longer to the book form, maybe something about that stays where it just, I don't know, allows you to sort of have a more direct uh, intervention or comment on things that are like happening around you. But sorry, Marsha, I cut in. No, I, I just was saying something I found really strange about reading My Port of Beirut by, by Lemia is that uh, how she, she basically does painted or sketched versions of these photos that you saw online about the port explosion. And it's somehow so moving to see these new versions through the lens of her painting these same photos that, you know, I saw over and over again on, on social media um, to then see them through the lens of her, of her art that is, you know, it's still recognizable. It's still the same photo. I, I honestly don't know why it's so moving it's like for me or so striking. It's like just because it's like turning them into like it's like icons in a way or like the way mm. you have like you know posters for martyrs or something it is it's this reproduction of their images as part of this project to kind of like honor the victims right like mm. to remember them and so and so she does a lot a lot of the book is just portraits of a lot of the people who who died um and I agree with you, Marcia. It's very, it's very touching. I mean, um, I feel like it's a tribute. Yeah, you know, I'm seeing her work now. She's from so you, Lena Mohan's generation. Like, uh, mm, yeah, she, she's <laughs> even yeah, she she's uh, she's before us. But maybe if she lived in in France, this is why I uh, I didn't meet her yet. Or, but her work is very familiar. I've, I've definitely seen her work before. Mm. So I wanted to ask. So you mentioned Lena's work. <clears throat> what, I love what, it. And what what other what sort of exciting work do you think is being done with the graphic novel in anywhere in the world? And it doesn't have to be, you know, it could be uh, stylistically or formally or thematically or whatever. 
what kind of ins- inspires you to do other, do new things or what what do you enjoy like what i'm oh what do i enjoy yeah um uh, or what do you recommend (laughs) also what 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 else should we Uh, check out i don't know i i i'm i'm always looking at what's being published like for example corniche you mentioned it the I also only um, like knew them like a year ago and I was very excited to to see uh, like an independent kind of magazine in the like uh, Gulf area because uh, we never hear about such uh, initiatives happening there. Uh, And I, I think that we're also kind of isolated like uh, artists in Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Egypt are kind of isolated of the, what's happening in the Gulf area, and I think it's 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 very nice like to get artists like to kind of connect with what they're producing. Uh, but I'm always inspired what what with what's uh, being produced. Like I'm always following up with like artists my age, uh, what is there to produce? Uh, I don't know. I'm inspired by everyone, by everyone who's trying to produce right now because it's not an easy thing. It's not like uh, every artist you meet, uh, they kind of have a side job to survive. So producing in this economy is kind of very hard. So I'm following... Um, uh I don't know. I I'm I'm following I'm very interested in in like this what is produced in this area because I feel that like there's uh, like when we talk about comics there's like the manga style and there's like the the DC Marvel style and I think that the region are kind of also organically producing a style for our work like I feel like there is something very common in what in what we produce in, in this region, and it's not only the language; it's not only the Arabic language. I feel that we, uh, like people in this area, kind of broke a lot of um, restriction when it comes to drawing, and uh, and and there. The, I feel like there's a common, I don't know, school that it's being created without us actually working on it consciously uh and this is like if if you want to kind of do a research and an analysis about it i think that this could be found uh and like right now i'm i'm doing my my studies in in cultural studies like my 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 graduate degree and i'm very much interested in this and i'm like i have my eyes open and i'm trying to like my eyes open in this and uh, like really, if you look closely, you feel that there is a new school of Arab uh, art, uh, pu- uh, like publishing art, comics that is being created right now, because uh, yeah, because that uh, magazines and newspapers are opening space for this kind of uh, art to be presented like uh, comics in general is being uh, is getting more appreciating is not looked at as only children book material so this is very interesting and inspiring for me like i wouldn't uh, i wouldn't suggest one thing but like if you le- if you look at um uh book uh festivals happening right now uh, you would see a lot of new material, which is very, very inspiring for me. Like I really, I'm really happy that we're kind of creating uh, very hardly a new market for this. Uh, that it's gonna like be good for all the artists working in this field. Mm. So you mean like Cairo Comics, those kind of uh, book festivals? Yeah, and also on a smaller scale, like even even a magazine, uh, an art group that's creating a magazine, for example, in Jordan also, uh, there's a mag, a comics magazine, and uh, uh, like 
although Jordan is very close to Lebanon, for example, like five years ago, I didn't know any comic artist from Jordan. It was very sad until they created this magazine that I like, okay, so there's a very tiny market for comics in Jordan. So I think that... What's the magazine in Jordan? Do you remember? Uh, yeah. <laughs> They're going to be so mad at me. for That's okay. <laughs> so wait, 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 wait. Um, is, the, is the magazine called Fanzine by any chance? Yes, is yes. That the, fanzine, yes. of course. Okay. <laughs> oh, my okay. God. <laughs> okay. Got it. I'm terrible uh, at that. Um, yeah, so... Yeah. So I was going to ask you, like you're talking about keeping up with the scene. So for people who are interested in this, how does one, I mean, is it, are you mostly like following people's Instagram? Like, oh, you mentioned like book fairs, but of course not everybody can attend those and they only happen so often. Mm. I, I mean, I imagine there's the same problems with like distribution that there are with like books in general, that like, it's not easy to find everything you want everywhere you want across the region. So like, how, how does one, you know, what are the best places to sort of like know and follow uh, these, these magazines and these artists? Like, do you have any tips for people who are interested? Yeah, unfortunately, you, you have to be available online. Like Instagram is the only, for example, right now, the only platform that you can uh discover things like that but like when i mentioned like creating a magazine and like for example let's let's say fanzine fanzine created a small market for comics this is why it's important and i think it's very important there were like i don't know five six ten comic artists that they didn't know each other they were working separately maybe no one knew about their work but then when you make a magazine you kind of create a small a space for those uh, artists to be seen. And it's also like a, uh, creating a, a small market from, from, from zero. Uh, so right now we know that there are uh, a group of comic artists in, in Jordan because of fanzine, you know? And, and like Corniche, the same thing. Because of Corniche, we know that, ah, okay, so creating a magazine is not, is, is something like very important like it's it's creating a space for 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 artists work to be seen uh, yeah a showcase yeah i mean yeah, yeah it exactly. makes me a little sad yeah but you're you're right like that it shift to, to digital is that marsh and i are already sad that like we're reading PDFs more than books these days, although we keep fighting this losing battle that like we want, yeah. but especially when it comes to like graphic novels and comics, like I just hate reading them online. Like I want, mm. it just feels like something that deserves to be held in your hands. But Thank it is you. difficult. Now I, I'm, <laughs> I'm already regretting that I didn't get all the issues of Corniche when I was in Abu Dhabi because I, now I don't know again, how will I, you know, how would I get another one? How will I get the new one when it comes out? So, you know, there is a you know, s- serious distribution issue with, with paper books. Yeah, this is, this, is, this is definitely one of our struggles, Yanni. Do we put all our work online in order for it to be accessible for everyone and lose uh, having our uh, work uh, produced as print? Because I myself also feel that I, I don't like to read digital and the work is completely different when you read it from a screen or when, when you hold it in your hands. Like there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, uh, intimacy and a lot of feelings lost when you don't hold this thing in your hand, like the colors, the texture, everything. Uh like print kind of create a very personal connection with you and what you're seeing or what you're reading. So, so yeah, of course we want to see more print. You have to like sacrifice, like when you put your work online, okay, maybe it's more accessible, but you're losing this in your work. And when you uh, decide to print it, uh, you're gaining this, I don't know, 
you're feeling that, okay, uh, you're happy that people are, are appreciating this kind of art, but you're also losing it from being more accessible. So like whatever you do in this field, you're always sacrificing <laughs> something. Yeah, mm. it's a tough choice. And like I, I myself, uh, I've... Hmm. No, I just wanted to say that I myself feel sad when I can't like access, for example, Corniche online, but I know why I like, I don't want to access it. Keep it printed. I'm going <laughs> to find it someday because like, <laughs> I, yeah, I think, I think they told me that they will be selling it through their website at some point. I'll, huh, I'll okay. put something in the show notes about how you can find Corniche. We'll put a lot of links in the show notes to yes. like all the magazines that we've mentioned to um, the English uh, translations of your work that are available on Mamul Press to some of the other works that we've talked about because, um, yeah, be, you know, so people can find things. Well, thank you so much um, for joining us, Rowan. Um, it was really, really nice talking to you. Your work is beautiful. Um, and uh we we hope to see more of it and to get other chances to to talk to you. Thank you very much. I really also enjoyed the the talk, and I'm happy that I like had the chance to also talk about all the struggles and like kind of rant <laughs> about our problems. It comes up a lot. It's not yeah, something it that is, we, it is a common theme. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I and I think it's not, it's worth like telling the truth. Like it's 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 tough. It's tough to be an artist. It's tough to be a writer. Let's talk about it. Maybe we can find some solutions yeah. sometimes. Yes. Um, so um, great talking to you both. And uh, thank you to everyone who listened. And um, goodbye for now. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.